Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Greetings in Jesus' name. We are continuing our study from Passover to Pentecost, and we are showing how the story itself continues. What if I could tell you how to be filled with the Spirit? That's a hot topic for many people. What if I could tell you how to walk, live, be led by, and bear the fruit of the Spirit each and every day? What if I could tell you how to live in a spiritual high every day, and never lapse into the mundane and routine activities or feelings that beset you each and every day. Would you listen? Would you buy it? In this study, I will answer for us those questions. Many of us have seen on Facebook or perhaps have received in the mail baby announcements. Baby announcements tell you of something that is coming, something that is Inevitable and something that is soon, but you don't actually know the specific time or day. Well, in Luke 24, the disciples of Jesus are told to go to Jerusalem and wait for the fulfillment of a promise. That same idea is reiterated by Luke in the first chapter of Acts. We know that the Spirit of God is indeed coming. In our text this morning, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, there are three ideas that we will note, one will receive the bulk of our attention or study, but the three thoughts are this, the continuing of the story in verse 1, the first part, they're in celebrating Pentecost, then the beginning of the church, I'll make reference to it, but I won't focus our attention there, but then the coming of the Spirit, which is the big idea in verses 2 through 13. But let's begin by reading our passage, we'll then have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into our study. In Acts chapter 2, Verses 1 through 13, the Bible reads as follows. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. And we are confident that the Spirit of God is going to take the Word of God and do a sure work in the people of God. Father, may we leave this place knowing that your work is certain, that you are fulfilling your vision through your mission. And Father, we have the joy to participate. 
Thank you, Father, for these moments. May we use them well. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin with the continuing of the story. We know that Pentecost is one of three pilgrim feasts. Deuteronomy 16, 16 reads as follows. Three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, and at the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and at the Feast of Booths. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. We know that the feasts of Israel formed their calendar, and the calendar was for the purpose of remembering. We know that there were two seasons, the spring feasts and the fall feasts. We know that Pentecost is the last of the four spring feasts. They begin with Passover, which is a pilgrim feast, then unleavened bread, first fruits three days after Passover, and then 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost, which is a pilgrim feast. You'll remember that the ascension has already taken place 10 days prior to this day in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And then the three fall feasts. But our focus right now are on the spring feasts and Pentecost as a whole. The feast day calendar reminded the people from where they came and whose they were. When they came back to celebrate feasts, they were remembering the Garden of Eden and the storyline of Scripture. They were remembering their enslavement in Egypt, their deliverance through the Exodus. They were remembering Mount Sinai, the love covenant from God to them. And then they remembered that they couldn't, but God could, and that the Messiah would. And all of it is coming to pass. All of it is coming to fruition. All of it is being fulfilled on this day. But that's the continuing of the story. That's the historical context in which they existed. Well, let's just for a moment make comment concerning the beginning of the church. We do believe that the church, as we know it, came into existence in Acts chapter 2. But what I'm wanting to see is how the church is part of something much grander than this moment. It reaches all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You see then its manifestation in the tabernacle, the temple, now the church, until we get to Revelation 21 and 22 when there will no longer be a need for a temple because God will dwell among his people for their joy and his glory. But we as a fellowship are enjoying this moment. We, this is our heritage. This is our family tree. And we are a part of this glorious, glorious lineage. Now let's consider the coming of the Spirit, and that's where we will spend most of our energy, most of our time. I'd like to consider, first of all, this idea of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We know that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is present. We also consider his indwelling within the believer as temporal. We know that he's working, and we know that there's this diversification of gifting. He gives his spirit to individuals to do certain tasks. And then we have what is called the theocratic anointing. Moses enjoyed it. Joshua enjoyed it. All the judges of Israel enjoyed it. All the Judean kings enjoyed it. And we see this theocratic anointing, which is an enablement to mediate the kingdom of God. We see it in Jesus at his baptism when the dove descends. That descending of the dove is this theocratic anointing that's marked all the way through the Old Testament text. And then when we move to the New Testament, the New Covenant, we know that the Spirit is present. We know that his abiding or indwelling is permanent. 
We know he's working. Even right now, he is working. And we know there is this diversification of gifting. We know that within the body of Christ, there are a multiplicity of giftings and gifted individuals. So we have this comparison and contrast between the Old and New Testament, and we really can't take too much time here, but we do know that in the Old Testament, there is greater obscurity as to the indwelling and working of the Holy Spirit and the people of God. Whereas in the New Testament, there's greater clarity. We, we could go on for a very long period of time talking about the ministry and working of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. But in the New Testament, there is greater clarity as to this indwelling and working of the Holy Spirit in the life of God's people. Thus, for the sake of our study, our time in Acts 2, instead of searching into what is inscrutable, we're going to simply rest on what is revealed. And we'll look at Acts chapter 2. So our focus right now will be on Acts 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's really what we're considering in our study. There's reference made in both Luke 24 and Acts 1 to a promise that was made by the Father to his people of this indwelling. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus references Isaiah 44, verse 3, and he speaks of a spirit that will be within us and coming from within us outward. And he also says that the spirit was not yet given because he was not yet glorified, so there's still something that is yet future. We know in John chapter 14 in the uproom discourse from John chapter 14 through 16, you have reference being made by Jesus that he must leave in order that another comforter, an advocate, an intercessor would come, and that is the Holy Spirit. In John 14 verse 16 verse 26, John 15 verse 26, and then in John 16 verse 7. So there's still something yet future that's being referenced in all these passages by Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Jesus has already referenced that in John 7, John 14, 15, 16, and now he's saying it again in Luke 24, 49. And we see the same idea in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and then Acts chapter 2, verse 33. They're told to wait for this promise, for this coming the question I have is, does the promise itself have roots in previous prophecies? Does the Old Testament text speak of this future promise? Well, in Acts chapter 2, 15 through 21, Peter says in referencing Joel, this coming, this filling by the Spirit, this coming of the Spirit is something that was prophesied by Joel 2, 28 and 29 and is now being fulfilled in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And what's interesting about this is that Joel is a pre-exilic prophet. It's something that's happening to the nation or spoken by the prophet before they go into exile in 586 B.C. And then Ezekiel, during the Babylonian exile, in Ezekiel 36, 27, speaks of a spirit being poured into the people of God. And then finally, in Zechariah 12, 10, after the exile, when they come back to the land, the prophet Zechariah speaks of this promise. So you have this reference being made of Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Spirit. Now, with reference to the coming... I'd like to note three things. First, the filling that takes place. Chapter 2, verse 4 says we are filled with the Spirit. 
And then the purpose of his coming, why did the Spirit come? Why is he now filling the church? Why is he, in a sense, returning to the temple? And then what is the reaction of his coming by the audience that sees and hears these things? Well, let's note that. We'll begin with the idea of filling in chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible reads as follows, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word that occurs in chapter 2, verse 4 of the book of Acts is found multiple times in the New Testament, but its occurrence is interesting. It occurs twice in Matthew. Luke uses that word 12 times. John uses it but once. Acts uses it nine times. And then from Romans to Revelation, this particular Greek word for filling used in Acts 2, 4 does not occur at all. And only eight, however, of the 21 times that is found in Luke and Acts does the word occur with the Holy Spirit. Luke uses it to refer to John the Baptist being filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. It's spoken of Elizabeth being filled, of Zechariah being filled. And then all the occurrences in Acts, the five occurrences in Acts, has this idea of filling, and we'll note some of those. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we have this idea of being filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it says that the house was filled. Well, it's a different word. It's a sibling. It still occurs within the same family, but it's a different word. So the word in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, for the sound that is filling the house, is used extensively by Luke in Luke and Acts, in the gospel and in Acts, but it is never used by Luke to refer to the Holy Spirit. But it is used by Paul in Ephesians 5.18 when it says, Don't be controlled or drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So we do have that word still being used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, to refer to this filling. And when we think of this filling of the Spirit as well, and by the way, I recognize that I'm giving you a, just a ton of information, and I wish we could slow all this down and examine each of these pieces in detail. But right now, we're simply considering this idea of filling. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says that they were to look for individuals to fill the role of deacon or deaconess who were filled with the Spirit. And that same word is used of Jesus being filled in Luke 4, 1, of Stephen being filled in Acts chapters 6 and 7, then of Barnabas being filled in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. So you do have this idea of filling. And it's found throughout the book of Acts. And if we were to take time and look at the various references and occurrences of it, we see that it happens in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We know that in Acts chapter 4, Peter is filled with the Spirit, and he speaks boldly to his audience. We know it occurs concerning the Samaritan believers in Acts chapter 8. We know that the Apostle Paul at his conversion is filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 9. We know that when Peter speaks with Cornelius and Caesarea Philippi, that Cornelius and those around him are filled with the Spirit. Paul's filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Then we have this idea as it moves forward, which is really interesting, of being baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And that idea occurs in Galatians 3, 27, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I would argue from all of its occurrences that filling and baptism are synonymous ideas as they exist inside the New Testament document. 
So when a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin and death, they are filled with the Spirit. In that moment, the Spirit of God takes the people of God and baptizes them, places them into the person of Christ. It is that action that unifies them with Christ where he becomes their life and their life is now hidden with Christ in God. That filling and that baptism are foundational. They are the root. They are the causation of everything that's about to unfold then throughout the rest of the New Testament. If we were to go to Galatians 5, and I would really encourage you to go back and listen to our study on Galatians 5 by Pastor Giles. But if we went to Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of various activities of the Spirit of God in and through the people of God. He talks about walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16 and 5.25. He talks about being led by the Spirit in Galatians 5.18. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. And finally, he talks about living in the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. And if you were to compare Galatians 5 with Romans 8, you'd see consistency. But the filling and the baptism are the foundation. They are the root. They are the causation, whereas walking, being led, bearing fruit, and living by is the building. They are the fruit or the consequences of being filled, of being baptized into the person of Christ. And so there is this natural progression that I want us to see, and it's not just from the text. The text initiates the conversation or the study, but I'm wanting us to understand that when the Spirit of God came in Acts 2, something new is taking place. Apart from, or in addition to, the Shekinah glory filling the temple, that filling is a baptism, and we are being placed into Christ. As a consequence of us receiving the Spirit, the Spirit of God is now working in us, then through us, this walking, this being led by, this bearing the fruit of, and this living in the Spirit. He's now working through us, His working, And what people then see is the witness. They're seeing Christ in us and through us to those around us. There's this natural progression that we will then see in the book of Acts of the church being a witness. And that witness is being seen by the audience as a walking, led, fruit, live. It's the consequence of the filling. It's a consequence of the baptism. So in the book of Acts, and this is what we do see from Acts chapter 2 moving forward, We see a fulfillment of God's vision, which he gives us in Genesis 1 and 2, a fulfillment of God's vision through the mission. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God comes into the people of God, that is what is being fulfilled. That is what's being advanced. That is what is moving forward. So you have, as it were, the Shekinah, or the dwelling presence of God coming back into his temple. That filling or that baptism places us into Christ. And what the Spirit of God has been given to us is now being worked through us as walking, led, fruit, live. That's the witness. That's what people are seeing out there. And that witness is advancing and fulfilling the vision of God for the world. So what's the purpose, though? Okay, we have the filling by His coming. And I've I've touched on that uh, with a ton of information. And I would encourage you to pick up our notes and study this in greater detail. But we know that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, the Spirit of God came upon the people of God. And he's now going to indwell the church again. He's going to indwell the people of God permanently. 
We know that. It happens on this day. That's different than what was happening or had happened in the Old Testament. So that's the filling. It's a consequence. It's a consequence of us accepting who Jesus is as Lord and Savior. But what's the purpose of that coming? What's taking place in all of this? Well, notice what happens. The Spirit of God comes upon the church. They speak in tongues, but for what purpose? Well, the purpose is that the nations would hear. That's what's so incredible about this text. Tongues is simply a means to an end, and that's for the nations to hear who are present. Remember, Jerusalem, during these pilgrim feasts, during Passover, would go from about 50,000 people to 200,000 people. Jews from all over the world are coming back to Jerusalem, and they are speaking something other than Hebrew, and now they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing the message, and we'll hear this next week in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and following, the message that Peter preaches. Peter preaches this, and the people hear it in their own language. The tongues were for the purpose of the nations. It wasn't for personal edification. It wasn't for personal buildup. It was for the nations. It went from God to his people and through his people to the nations. All the nations were to hear, and they were hearing. And Acts tracks this for us. It goes from Jerusalem through Samaria, Judea, to the uttermost regions of the world. It's showing how God is being faithful to his vision, and he's carrying it forward through his mission. This is incredible. The Spirit of God is doing all the heavy lifting. He has given to us everything we need to advance the mission in fulfillment of the vision. He is doing it. All the nations. Then the question is asked in its audience. Notice what happens down here. It says we hear, in verse 11, them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed. And all were asking the same question, what does this mean? Others, however, were mocking, saying they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. What does this mean? Two responses. There were those who were accepting what was taking place. They were somehow through the working of the Spirit, connecting the dots, and they were tying it back to all of these promises made in the Old Testament text and that are now coming to fruition in this moment in time. They were accepting that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the seed promise. He is the completion of the blood picture. They accepted Jesus, but others were rejecting it. They were mocking them as if they were drunk. And there is probably a direct tie into what Paul will then say in Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine. Don't be under that influence or control, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Others were accepting. Some were rejecting and pushing it away. What was the acceptance? What was the rejection? It was all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Acts chapter 2 is continuing the single story of God with Jesus at the center. The Spirit of God is coming. He is confirming all the promises that God had made and were fulfilled in Jesus. Some were able to accept it. Others, however, unfortunately rejected the message that the Spirit of God was bringing to the nations. What does this mean? In this moment, heaven and earth are being tied together. 
In this moment, Matthew 6.10 is being fulfilled. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Has it been fully and completely fulfilled? No, there's still more to come. But we're living in substance even while we wait, as it were, in shadow. God is fulfilling promises right here. And more is still yet to come. But let us not think for one moment that we are in the wilderness. The Spirit of God has come. We are filled. We have been baptized into Christ. We are walking in the Spirit. We are being led by the Spirit. We are living in the Spirit. We are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And we are witnesses. This is incredible. It's the promise of God being fulfilled for us. Can we accept it? Or will we reject it? We have a choice to make. When we come to a text like this and we see all that has happened, we have a choice to make. Will we accept Jesus and the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us to those around us? Or will we still make it about us? We believe it is wrong when we make salvation conditional. When we say, well, you have to do this, that, or the other in order to be saved, we say, well, you know what? It's all by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Well, why would we not equally think it's wrong when we make the working of the Spirit conditional? The Scriptures don't. Anyone that would tell you there's a condition to being filled or walking, living, led, or bearing the fruit of is conditional, there's a condition to be fulfilled, is going to have to fabricate the condition. I am telling you that on the day of Pentecost, for those who believe, the Spirit of God came and he permanently indwelt them. And that indwelling is now being worked through our walking, living, led, and fruit-bearing. And that is the witness. Those around us are seeing the working of the Spirit. Folks, we are a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-living, Spirit-bearing church. We are there. And we are a witness of these things. And the question is simply this, will you believe it? Will you accept Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises? And the Spirit of God is confirming that for us on this day. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people and read this exciting text. Father, the Spirit of God has come the church of God is filled, has been baptized, are a part of Christ, and that spirit is working in us and through us so that we are walking, we are being led, we are living, and we are bearing the fruit of the spirit. And Father, as a consequence of his working, we are witnesses. How exciting is that? Thank you, Father, for this working. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your faithfulness even in the midst of our own unfaithfulness. Continue to override us. Help us just to be swept up in what you are doing and to glory and boast in that and in that alone. We thank you for this time together around your word. In Jesus' name, amen.